0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. And take your Bible, if you would, and let's go to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and chapter number two this morning. Nehemiah, chapter number two, and uh, we're doing a, just a series. It's a course of really the next uh, next eight or ten weeks, we're doing this, and through the book of Nehemiah. And I'll give you a little recap here in just a minute. but uh, as we got started with the series, last week, I brought you in on um, our family flaw of being late. and I well. Of course, when I say family flaw, I mean it was my sister's and my dad's flaw. Uh, it was never my mom or I, was it? No, it was never us. Did I get some points with that? Okay, just checking. Um, <clears throat> basically, my mom and I are practically perfect. So um, anyway, just kidding. Uh, of course, you know that. Last week, we talked about it. But there's uh, this week, I, I want to uh, I actually air some grievances with you. Uh, that are probably left very much unresolved in my heart. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, I'm probably still bitter and struggle deep down. It, what I'm, the story I'm about to tell you probably has actually affected my psyche. And if you think that pastor acts a little weird every now and then, we're gonna blame it on the story I'm about to tell you. Here's the thought. No one likes to be... Left out. No one like. If I say that and you hear my parents both laugh, you know they already know. No one likes to be left out. No one likes to be forgotten. I've told the church many times, uh, growing up. You think I would have got the picture, but I can't tell you how many times I was left. How many times I was forgotten? Uh, many times we would be. It would be after a service on a Sunday, and and Mom would think Dad got me, and Dad would think Mom got me, and they would go home. It would be uh, picking me up after school. But probably one that's kind of burned in all of our minds is they left me at an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet in Missoula, Montana. <laughs> I was 16, and my parents left me on purpose. Okay, it wasn't on purpose. They, uh, they got up and we, uh, we got up and we're leaving and I went and used the restroom and came out and I came out and walked outside and I was like, where's everybody at? And then I was like, oh, they, they're, they're pulling a prank. They pulled behind the building, you know? And so I walk around. I'm like, they're nowhere to be found. So you know what I did? I just sat down. There's a big, you know, they're, you know the Chinese restaurants, they got the Buddha statue. I just made a backrest with the Buddha statue, and I just sat there. For an hour and 30 minutes, I sat there. You say, Pastor, this isn't true. Ask them. It's true. We were in Missoula, Montana. They left from the restaurant. They were driving 25 minutes to see my sister's. Uh, and her husband, they had just bought new property. They were going out to look at the property, and so they were driving two separate cars. So they got out there and realized, and my mom said, hey, he's, hey, where's Dennis? And dad said, ah, that's funny. You've got him in your car. He's ducking down. And mom said, no, he's ducking down in your car. And they both went, we forgot our son. <laughs> you would think, like any loving parents, they would turn around and come back and get me. No. They looked at the property, they surveyed everything, they talked about stuff. They were like, he'll be fine, he's okay. And they got back, and sure enough, I was fine. But still, they, they left me. But that's probably not the one that's the most traumatic. I'm just kidding. When I was, when I was five years old, my parents, my brother had just been born, Dustin, He was probably two months old, and we uh, were going to go on a family vacation. Now, usually family vacation means the family. In this instance, it did not mean family vacation. It meant mom and dad with daughter's vacation, we're going to ditch the sons. And so they drove to Indianapolis. We spent a few days with my grandparents in Indianapolis, and then I wake up one morning and my parents are gone with my sisters, which that was fine, them being gone, but my parents were gone, my sisters were gone, and it was just me and my brother there. They went on a family vacation to Washington, D.C., drove to D.C., had a great time, spent, I don't know, four or five days there, and they left me and my brother at my grandparents. Some of you parents are like, that would be a great vacation, leaving the five-year-old and the two-month-old and... Then they proceeded to come back and pick us up and recap how great of a vacation it was. (laughs) And this is now 22, almost 23 years later, 33 years, almost 33 years later, math's a little off, 33 years later, and they still talk about family vacation to Washington, (laughs) D.C. And I'm like, excuse me, one quick complaint. It wasn't a family vacation. I got left out on that one. Now, I joke about being bitter. Honestly, they did it and they had it planned and we were fine with it at the time. I didn't wanna drive another 15 hours with my sisters in a car. No one wants to do that. I joke about being bitter about it. I really don't even care. But you know what? The truth is that at, at our root, at our foundation, no one likes to be left out. No one likes to be forgotten. No one likes to be set to the side. So here's the question I want to present to you today. How do you think God feels when you and I leave him out of our life? When you and I set him aside in our decisions? When you and I forsake the fellowship that God desires we would have? This morning, we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter number two, and the, the title of the message is simply left out, because I'm going to present to you, I believe, some cases from the, or a, a, a case from the word of God from the life of Nehemiah, and we're going to be able to look in some insight and realize get some insight and realize that Nehemiah was one. I believe God blessed Nehemiah's life abundantly and used him in a great way. Because Nehemiah did not leave God out. And so this morning, I want to challenge you just with one simple question, one decision to make before you leave today. Will you make the decision, God, this week, this week, I'm not going to leave you out of my decisions. God, this week, I'm not going to leave you out of my life. And I believe it will be a help to us today if we make that decision. So let's stand. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter number one. Nehemiah chapter number one, we're going to begin in verse number 11 of Nehemiah one and then go into chapter number two. Nehemiah chapter one and verse number 11. This is the end of a prayer that Nehemiah has been praying. We'll understand the context of it in just a second, but notice Nehemiah's prayer and how it goes. He says, "O Lord, I beseech thee, Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king, for I was the king's cupbearer. Chapter number two. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, not Nisan like the car you might drive, in the twelfth year, or in the twentieth year, excuse me, of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and, and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore, the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very Sore afraid and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and we'll stop right there. Nehemiah, we saw, and we're going to see it again this morning. Nehemiah has just recently been let into the fact that his home city of Jerusalem, the place that he would call home, even though he had never lived there, but the place of his ancestors, he had found out that the people were in great affliction and in reproach. And because of that, he knew that that reflected poorly upon God. But then to make matters worse, he discovered that the the city walls were broken down and the gates were desecrated and decimated in ruins. And so the people could not have defense. And because of this, after hearing this story, Nehemiah became very burdened, not burdened about a wall or burdened about a city in the sense of buildings per se, but burdened for the people, realizing that if God's people are in a... Affliction, and if God's people are a reproach, man, that is reflecting poorly upon our God. And so Nehemiah goes to God in prayer. And we're going to discover today not only a little bit about Nehemiah's prayer, but I believe we're going to see that for four months, for four months, Nehemiah was seeking God, seeking God's heart. And when it came time for action to be made, Nehemiah already knew what needed to be done because he had already included God in all of the decisions. He had already said, God, I need your help. God, I need your wisdom. And when it came time for action to be taken, because he had incorporated God every step of the way, Nehemiah didn't lack any wisdom. And it reminds me of James chapter one and verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom of God, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Man, God says, don't leave me out of your decisions. When you seek me, you will find me. When you ask for my help, you will receive it. And we're gonna see that to be true in Nehemiah's life today. And I hope we'll make the decision that it would be true in our lives this week. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Why don't you take a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, why don't you ask the Lord to to speak to you today. Once you give him permission, God. I give permission to speak to me and God to help me however you desire to help me today. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you use it to apply into our lives. To help us to know how to grow in our relationship with you, how we can continue in fellowship with you, and then, Lord, how we can experience uh, the fulfillment that only you can bring. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, God, I pray that you'd be a very uh, very much involved in every aspect of this message, Lord, that it would be your words, not mine. Uh, Father, that you would help every illustration, Lord, every movement, every thought, every action, Lord, that it would be completely what you want. I pray that you'd help every one of us as listeners. God, that we would be sensitive to your spirit and that you would help us today to know what you want to speak to us about and how you want to work in our lives. And Lord, we again, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to do, and we pray that you'd help our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. (coughs) Excuse me. When you come to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, just to kind of Uh, catch us up to speed. Uh, If you were not here last week, we learned about uh, the children of Israel being split into two kingdoms, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. uh, Because of years of going against God, and I'm leaving out a lot of the history of it, but because of years of going against God, God allowed them to be overtaken. The Northern Kingdom by the Assyrians, and then a a few um, decades later, maybe about... uh, Probably 50 to 70 years later, he would allow Judah, the southern kingdom, to be overtaken by the Babylonians, the world power at the time. And then the Media-Persian Empire would come on the scene, and the Media-Persian Empire uh, would be ruled by a few kings. One of them would be Cyrus, whom we would know, also referred to as King Artaxerxes. Just so you know, he would not be Artaxerxes I of the book of Esther, but I believe the second, the son of King Artaxerxes I. And so this man, Cyrus, the king of the Media-Persian Empire, he's approached. He's approached, hey, could, could the people of Israel go back? There's already been by this time, because of the rule of Media-Persian Empire, there's already been two other times that the people of Israel have gone back to their land. They've gone out of the land of captivity, back to Judah to try to rebuild since it had been decimated by the Babylonians and Assyrians the and they had not been a nation. And so now it comes to the third time. The third time, and that's when we come to the person of Nehemiah. During Nehemiah's life, we just learned about it a second ago, that Hanani, Nehemiah's brother, this is all chapter one, him and a group of men would travel from Susa or Shushan. They would go 850 miles east all the way back to Jerusalem. And they would go to Jerusalem and then spend some time there and turn around and go back to Shushan where the Medo-Persian winter palace would be. And they would go there. And when they got there, Nehemiah, he was a servant in the king's house. He was the king's cupbearer. We learned last week, this is a very... a very prominent position. Some would say, well, no, they would give it to a lowly slave. No, they wouldn't. They would give it to somebody whom they respected. They respected their character, somebody who would be around the king literally every waking hour. This man, the cupbearer, would be before the king. Now, the king's cupbearer, his responsibilities, were not just to uh, drink of of the king's drinks or eat of the king's food to make sure it wasn't poisoned. His responsibilities went even further to the point where he was supposed to almost be, if I can say it this way, we might connect it with the phrase of a court jester, someone who would keep the king smiling, not in the sense of being the funny man, but somebody who would keep the king encouraged. This is somebody who, no matter what was going around, they would not show sadness of heart ever in the presence of the king. This is why we know Nehemiah was not a very emotional person. We read it just a moment ago that he had never been sad in the king's presence before. Under some law with the Media Persian Empire, Babylonians, and even the Assyrians before that, if the cupbearer showed emotion before the king, they would either A, lose their job, their status, and their livelihood, And in some circumstances, they could even be killed for being being sad in the king's presence. That's why it's of significance that it would say, I was sore afraid because the king noticed that I was sad. So here's Nehemiah. He gets this news about Hanani and the people of Israel being in a great affliction and a great reproach. And last week we discovered that he became burdened about the people. Oh, he heard that the walls were broken down and the the gates were decimated. But he wasn't burdened necessarily about that. He knew that that was a main contributor to the people being afflicted and and suffering uh, the reproach. And so Nehemiah had this great burden of, I've got to do something. And we saw last week that he had interest. Hey, what's going on with them? That interest caused him to have that burden for people. That burden caused him to seek the Lord. And then that seeking turned to action. And we were challenged last week with the simple thought, we need more Nehemiahs. We need more Nehemiahs who would look outside of ourselves and start caring about things outside of our situation and our circumstances. Here's the king's cupbearer. I mean, he has life made. Why does he need to worry about people 850 miles away that he's never been to? Why does he need to worry about that? Because he knew that people were hurting and God's name was hurting. And so we, we need more Nehemiahs. But this morning, I want to come and I want to bring us a message today where I believe we can prove that Nehemiah, he didn't leave God out of any decisions. I want you to notice the verse that I believe points us in this direction. It's Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 8. It says this, And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertained to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. So Nehemiah's coming to the end of making a request to the king. We'll see all of it in just a second. But notice the last part of verse number eight, it says this. And the king granted me. That means the king came through with everything I asked. But notice the next phrase. According to the good hand of my God upon me according to the good hand of my God upon me. In just a minute, we're going to see what it was that the king granted, but notice Nehemiah's statement at the end of verse 8. Right here, he says, the king did what the good hand of God was working in me. See, God, God was at work, and that's why the king responded. He, he believed, and we can see this Nehemiah writing the book, he knows that God worked the entire time. This was all god 's plan. Nehemiah could say, "Listen, I did some things, but really behind everything, God was working and I want us to show the, I want to show you this morning if we're going to not leave God out of our decisions, if we are going like." Nehemiah to be able to say, hey, God was working through me the entire time. If we're going to be able to say that, four things have to take place in our life. And I see it in this passage. Number, number one, if we're going to not leave God out of our decisions, we must wait for God's timing. If I'm not going to leave God out of my decisions, I have got to wait for God's timing. Where do we see this? Well, as we pick up the life of Nehemiah in chapter number two, again, we know he was burdened about people and that burden happened in the month of Chislu. This would be the month of December, Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 1. That's when Nehemiah was first burdened about uh, the people of, of Judah and saying, man, something has to happen. I, I can't believe they're in affliction and they're in a, a re- status of, of reproach. Something needs to be done. But then when we move to Nehemiah chapter 2, we find that it's the month of Nisan. Well, what is that month? It's April. Four months has gone by, possibly even five So for four and a half months, nearly five months, Nehemiah is just waiting. Nehemiah is just wondering. What was he waiting? What was he wondering for? I think Nehemiah chapter one, verse 11, lets us know he was waiting the very end of the verse. Nehemiah said, I pray thee, thy servant this day, grant me mercy in the sight of this man. You know what I believe Nehemiah was waiting for for four months? He was waiting for God to open the door. Hey, God, listen, I want to do something. God, there's a great burden. God, I want to take action. So God, I'm just gonna put this in your hands. And when you grant me mercy in the king's sight, that's when I'll take the step because I was the king's cupbearer. So I couldn't, this is, why is he saying that? I can't make anything happen. I've got to have the mercy of the king. Something has to happen in Cyrus's heart that I can't do. He was waiting for God to bring him the opportunity. You see, the fact of the matter is that God, he will open the doors in his timing. And that's what Nehemiah was asking. God, will you open the door in your timing? Well, that door finally opened. And we read about it in verses 1 through 4. I'll read it again just so we can kind of stay on the same page. It came to pass in the month of Nisan that the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and I gave it unto the king. I'm fulfilling my job. Listen, I'm not going to go long on this. But you know what I love? I love that Nehemiah was a man of character and he still followed through in the mundane things knowing that God is going to bless the mundane even though sometimes I don't like it. I hate the mundane things of life. I'm that person. Listen, for you people that work in factories and it's the same thing every day, God bless you. I could not do it. I, I genuinely, I, I, I couldn't. And some of you are like, well, that's what I love. You love mundane. That's great. That's just difference of personalities. I am not a mundane type of guy. I don't like it. I, I like some uh, schedule and organization. You can ask Hannah about that and the staff. Like, I like that type of stuff. But I don't wanna just be doing the same thing. Why? Because I think, man, what's the point of the mundane? Well, I'm glad that I wasn't in Nehemiah's shoes because Nehemiah didn't have that spirit. You know what Nehemiah's heart was? I'm gonna keep moving forward with even the mundane. I was just serving, I was just, took up the wine, took a sip of it to make sure it wasn't poisoned and I was doing this day in and day out, hour in and hour out for four months. And then finally, finally, he says, I hadn't before time been sad in his presence. Wherefore, on this day, the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? And notice what the king noticed. He said, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore, afraid, the king said unto me, or and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? Here's what I noticed. I noticed that for months, Nehemiah, he had been carrying this burden. And I believe for months, Nehemiah had been seeking the Lord and he had not tried to point something out to the king. For four months, Nehemiah was carrying this. And up to this point, he had never shown any sort of uh, emotional negativity in front of the king. And one of his jobs, again, to be an encouragement. And so on this day, man, the king notices, hey, something's going on. And this is, you're not sick. You're not moping around because you're sick. I mean, man, let's be honest. How many of us do that? Man, when we get sick, just kind of mope around, you know? The king is going, you're not sick. So this is nothing more. I love how the king notices it than sorrow of heart. Hey, Nehemiah, something's going on deep down inside of you. Hey, Nehemiah, there's a burden in there that now I can see. I think this day was kind of one of those breaking points for Nehemiah. You see, he had been carrying this burden for four months. I don't think he was like, you know, today's the day I'm going to be sad in front of the king. I don't think it was that way. No, what I think is for four months, this burden had been just gripping his heart so much that it finally hit the point where Nehemiah's, "I, I can't contain it. And it wasn't even a conscious decision. That burden had just poured out into his life and that king... Recognizes his sadness and finally it's time. It's God's time. And Nehemiah's response is, Let the king live forever. <laughs> That's just wise. That's the first thing he says. What's this? King, hey, it's nothing with you. Let the king live forever. I've got no issue with the king, with the media Persian. I've got nothing. There's not, no animosity here. Let the king live forever. And then he says, but here's why things are going wrong. Here's why I'm burdened. The city of my forefathers. It's a disgrace. The people are in our reproach and affliction. And in this passage he points specifically to the city why because the city affected the people. Why shouldn't I be sad when the place of my fathers is in deterioration? But you know what I see is I see that Nehemiah he just waited on the Lord. He waited on the Lord and here's the king saying, Nehemiah, what are you going to do about it? This is God opening that door of opportunity. And we know about the burden that Nehemiah has and we already know his desire is to see things change. But you wanna know what Nehemiah did? He didn't get ahead of God. He allowed God to open up the opportunity. And you know what my problem is? My problem sometimes is that I get ahead of God. (laughs) My problem sometimes is that I put my plans in play before God works and I do things according to the good hand of Dennis working in the life of Dennis rather than the good hand of God working in my life. You see, Nehemiah didn't make or orchestrate any of this. No, he knew I'm gonna let the good hand of God move things in his time. I wonder how many times do you think Nehemiah woke up and asked the why questions You know the why questions that you ask, that I ask. Why am I in Shushan? Why am I the king's cupbearer? Why is God allowing this to happen to Jerusalem? Why is God allowing this to happen to the, the people of Israel? Why is, think about that. Nehemiah waking up every day for four months. God, here's something going on. Why hasn't something happened yet? Probably that question arising, not in a fleshly way, but in a curious, curious way. But here's what I notice. I notice that Nehemiah has what we're gonna call a what moment when the what answered all of the whys. You see, Nehemiah had waited on the hand of God He had waited for God for that one moment. And now him, the the king saying, hey, what are you going to do about it? Now Nehemiah knows, he knows, man, I'm glad I waited on the Lord. I'm glad that I waited on the Lord. And This morning, I want us to see that this moment of Nehemiah being asked the question, What are you gonna do about it? This was Nehemiah's what moment. He realized God has a purpose in this. And I wanna say today, you and I, we can trust God and wait on his timing because his what for your whys might be just around the corner. Think about Daniel. Daniel asked why, and yet the what came about when he realized, oh, oh, I'm here because I'm gonna get thrown in a lion's den and be able to, Stand up for the king. Esther, she asked why, and yet God gave her her what when she went, oh, so Haman's been out to get us this whole time. I have purpose in this. Joseph, he asked why, and yet at the end of his life, the, what was, the why was answered with his what, with uh, here's what you were supposed to do. Here's what I was doing. And God's what will always answer our whys. But I see this morning, Nehemiah, he didn't leave God out because he waited on God's timing. Notice secondly, Nehemiah didn't leave God out because he asked for God's presence. So here's Nehemiah, he's been burdened for people and for Jerusalem for some time now. And all of the sudden, All of a sudden, don't miss it, God brings this right opportunity. The door opens. The king says, hey, you're sad. Nehemiah tells him why. And the king says, all right, what's your request? All right, what are you gonna do about it? And notice at the end of verse number four, Nehemiah's response, the end of verse number four, here's what it says. Right after the king asked the question, Nehemiah said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. You know what Nehemiah did in this moment when the opportunity presented itself to uh, step forward and to do something about the situation that he was burdened about? Here's what Nehemiah did. He prayed. And this moment of prayer is not a prolonged moment of prayer. I want us to know this morning, he is not, you know, like, uh, King, let me get back to you. Uh, Let me, uh, I haven't really thought about this. No, you know what this moment of prayer was? This moment of prayer is just a quick prayer for help and wisdom. Hey, God, I've been waiting for you to bring this opportunity. Here it is. Help me. I think that was his moment. God, help me. But I don't don't think this was a desperate plea. Oh, no, what's going to happen? I think God, I think Nehemiah had been praying this for four months. I think he had been seeking God for four months. We notice in chapter one, verse number four, that it says that Nehemiah went to fasting and mourning and praying for a number of days. Man, I personally think that for four months, I don't think he was maybe fasting and mourning the whole time, but I know he was praying the whole time. Man, he was just seeking God the whole time. And so now that moment comes up and Nehemiah just prays, God, give me wisdom. I'm prepared for this, but Lord, I need your words in this. You know, I see Nehemiah did. He was continually seeking him. And I wanna encourage you, continually seek him. It's not just a, oh no, what's gonna happen moment. It's a, God, we've been preparing for this together. God, I've been thinking about this. God, in this moment, I need your help. And you know what? One of the best ways to not leave God out of our life and our decisions is to continually be talking to him and continually be seeking him. Nehemiah was consistently seeking God in this matter. And even when the opportunity came for him to do something, Nehemiah still went to God. He knew, God, I don't have the plan, but I want it to be according to the good hand of my God upon me. We saw this last week in Nehemiah's life when he first heard about the situation in Jerusalem. What was his response? He went to God in prayer. He didn't put off prayer. Instead, he was a man who saw his need to incorporate the Lord in every aspect of his life. He said, God, I need you. One man said it this way that which you are genuinely praying, or yeah, that which you are genuinely praying is with you at all times. Man, what you're praying is always gonna be with you. It's always on your mind. Uh, this is uh, Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, that uh, continual conversation. It doesn't mean that I'm walking around going, dear God, help this. People are like, how are you? And I'm like, don't talk to me, I'm praying. You know, that's not what I talking about. It's talking about there's a genuine connection with me and the Lord all times throughout the entire day. I believe that this is what Nehemiah had. And I believe this is why we read verse number eight, that the king granted me according to all that he asked. Why? Because it was the good hand of God that was upon me. Nehemiah never left God out of the decisions. Why? Because he asked God for his presence. Hey God, I just need your help. Hey God, I just want your plan. You see, a lot of times when opportunity arises in our lives, we don't do anything because we haven't been praying about it. It hasn't been on our mind. It isn't before us. It's it's not us. We we haven't been praying without ceasing. We haven't been praying with importunity, just saying, God, here's a situation. If you ever open up the door, God, I'm walking through it, but I need your wisdom. God, I don't wanna ever make things happen in my time. I want it to happen in your time. And too often, we leave God out of our decisions. We make things happen the way we want them to happen. And that's the reason often uh, often that we don't see God blessing our days like Nehemiah saw God blessing his. It's because we leave God out. I want to ask you this morning, are you living with a God help attitude? Man, no matter what goes on in your life, do we run to God in in response of the situations and the circumstances we face? But do we run to him before we face those circumstances? If we're going to include God in all of our decisions, we've got to wait on his timing. We've got to ask for his presence, but we must also follow God's thinking. We've got to follow God's way of thinking. Notice verse five down through verse number nine. This is the response and what Nehemiah requested. Now, remember, remember, what we're about to read is stated by a cupbearer. He's a servant in the king's palace. He's not a contractor. He's not a builder. He's not an engineer. He has never even been to Judah, to Jerusalem, that we know of. He was not from there, okay? So all of this is being said by a cupbearer. The king asked him what he was gonna do. He prayed, and, and I said unto the king, if it pleased the king, And if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I continued, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You know what I see in Nehemiah's response to the king? We can tell that Nehemiah and the Lord had already done a lot of planning. Well, how can we tell that? Because when the king asks Nehemiah, hey, what are you going to do about it? Nehemiah did not respond with, you know, I don't know. I really haven't thought about that yet. No, Nehemiah already had a plan as to what he was going to say and how he was going to say it. And again, it was according to the good hand of God upon him. This was God. This was God working through Nehemiah and Nehemiah allowing God to work through him. I mean, think about this. Nehemiah's burden was a burden for people. But what made things worse is the fact that the city was unprotected. So that means that there was no means by which the people could stop being afflicted and stop being a reproach. So when Nehemiah begins to think about the situation, he begins to think about the practical side of things, the physical side of things. Why? Because Nehemiah knew, I'm not a a preacher. I'm not a prophet. I can't go back there as the king cupbearer and help the people not be in affliction and, and reproach. So what can I do? What can I bring? And Nehemiah began to thinking, you know, I could be over a project. I could help build a wall. In, this, in, his, in his burden process, Nehemiah began to think that question, what can I do? And this is what four months of being burdened and, and uh, talking with God will do. It brought Nehemiah to a plan of action which God had given him. And he had already been planning and thinking with the Lord. And God gave Nehemiah a plan. But You know what God did? God gave Nehemiah a plan with the gifting that Nehemiah already had. You see, Nehemiah had been asking questions like, what has God gifted me in? What are resources that I could have? What are some practical steps that I could take to solve this? I mean, he wanted the people of God in the name of God to be high and lofty And because the walls were broken down and the people couldn't have defense. He thought, I've got it. I've got it. I could go back and help them build. Hey, I could go back and, and lead a building plan. And maybe we could build up some walls. And Nehemiah plans, his plan of action, it actually preceded the king's request. Why? Because he had already been thinking about it. He had been praying, considering, thinking, and and God had been speaking. And what did Nehemiah do? Well, Nehemiah, you look at it, and we won't read the verses again, but think about what he asks. He'd already been thinking about it. What's your plan, Nehemiah? His plan, send me to Judah. Well, why? I want to build a wall. Well, how long is it going to take? Here's the set time. By the way, the set time was 12 years. 12 years from his first time leaving uh, Shushan and going to Jerusalem and back to Shushan, 12 years. He would do the trip again later on, but we'll see that towards the end of the series. So he set a time. But then, not only did he set a time, it's a building plan. You know what he did for the building plan? He thought of the time it would take, the materials it would take and the permits that were needed. Well, where do we see that? He set a time, the materials, you know what he said? Oh, by the way, could you send stuff to Ace? Could you send a letter to Asaph of the king's forest and have him send us the wood that we're gonna need to build? Thought about the materials, but then he also thought about the permits. What were the permits? Uh, Hey, king, could you write letters? Could you write letters of permission So that as we travel over, we're conveyed through the kingdom quickly. And when we get there, people know that you sent me to build. Listen, this was not just a flash in the pan moment of brilliance that Nehemiah had. We're talking about a a king's cupbearer. Even though he had this high rank in the king's house, he is not a contractor. He is not a builder. He is not an engineer. He doesn't work for the city planning commission. He, he, He doesn't know all of this, but God had put all of this in his mind. And Nehemiah just followed God's plan. I wanna say this morning in your life and mine, it would be wise of us to not leave God out of our decisions by asking him to truly direct our decisions. God, don't just allow me to have a burden, show me what I can do about it. Last week, we need more Nehemiah's people to, we need people to see people. God, help me not to just see people. Lord, help me to see what I can do to help people. You see, sometimes we have a burden and we want everybody else to fulfill it. We have a burden for missions. At the end of the service, I'm gonna show you a video from one of our missionaries, just a two minute video about an amazing opportunity they have. Many times we'll watch something from a missionary and we'll get burdened. Man, oh, that's great. Somebody else got to give to that. We'll have a, a, maybe a Sunday like we have coming up, February 14th, uh, we're calling it Sign Me Up Sunday where we're just trying to, man, what area of ministry can every one of us be involved in? I believe every, listen, I believe every single believer I believe it, and I'll debate it with you afterwards, but you probably believe it too. I believe every single follower of Jesus should do a few things every week. Number one, we should have a service that we worship in every week. A service that we're engaged in and in the preaching and and we're in-house in. Number two, I believe that every, every follower of God should have a service that we're serving in in the week. Man, something we're doing, maybe it's a nursery, maybe it's as a greeter, maybe it's as an usher, maybe it's as, uh, on outreach or whatever, but just some way that we're serving other people. And then number three, somebody we're speaking to about the gospel every week. Man, those three things that can help us, there's so many more we could add on to that, but listen, that's gonna help our Christian life. But there's a lot of Christians, they see things that need to be done, but then we say, yep, I see that needs to be done, and somebody's gonna do it. And that somebody ain't me. And we think about a coworker that needs Jesus and we think, oh man, I pray that somebody witnessed to him. Maybe that somebody is looking you in the mirror. You know, we think about it. Listen, how many times do we become burdened and we don't follow God's plan of action? Here's Nehemiah. He wasn't saying, man, here's something that needs to be done. King says, what should you do? And Nehemiah goes, Pfft. I don't know. I was hoping you'd have some ideas. Could could you send a building crew? That wasn't his thing. Nehemiah's spirit was, I've been waiting for this moment. Send me. You see, it's easy to identify problems, but it takes courage to follow God and do something about it. And it's easy to get burdened and identify a need, but it takes courage to move forward. I see today that if we're going to include God in all of our decisions, we've got to wait on his timing. We've got to ask for his presence. We've got to follow his thinking. But then notice lastly with me as we include the Lord into our decisions, we will experience God's blessing. Listen, as you and I include God in our decisions, we will experience God's blessing. This is a very quick point. Notice it in verse number nine. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Notice the last part. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Now, I know we read the Bible, those of us that read it every day and and perhaps you've read Nehemiah like me multiple times and if you're like me, man, you sometimes can just kind of read right over amazing parts of scripture. This is one of those verses. I've read it hundreds of times. And I didn't notice it until this week. The last part of verse number nine. Hey, first part, the king, he did everything he told me he would. He gave me the letters. He got the materials. We're moving forward. Second part of the verse. Oh, and by the way, he sent a military entourage to escort me. Oh, by the way, he sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. You know why I think Nehemiah put this in here? It's for us to realize that your God and my God, he goes above and beyond. Listen, God does more than we could imagine or than we could think. And that's a principle echoed in scripture time and time and time again. And here you and I are like the psalmist that we read in Psalm 77 who says, God, where are you? And here's God saying, hey, as you include me in your decisions, watch me work. Man, so many times throughout scripture, God calls us as his people to just step back and watch him work. He says, hey, you want to you see me do this? Watch what I can do. Man, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not a, a principle that totally applies to the children of Israel, but also applies to us. Hey, you've got something going on. Seek me and you'll find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. Hey, you, wanna, you need something done? Hey, listen, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory as you and I make him a part of our life. Oh, it's not a prosperity gospel. If, if we do this, then God will do this. No, 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 no. God is always working miraculous things. He just encourages us to partner with him. You know what Nehemiah did? Nehemiah realized that God did more than Nehemiah asked for. God did more than Nehemiah asked for. And as you and I include God in our decisions, we will see God work. And here's God working even through a godless leader. (laughs) Some other things could be said about that right now. I'm going to say it. This last week, we had the inauguration of a new president. Maybe you agree with him. Maybe you disagree with him. Maybe you agreed with the last administration or you disagreed with the last administration. Can I help us remember something? Our salvation is not in a political element at all. And if there is a godless leader in there or a non-godless leader in there, and I'm not calling either one either, you can look weak. You can look up things and figure out where people are at, probably a little bit. But here's the awesome truth: God can work in anybody. Yeah. Next Sunday night, next Sunday night, I'm preaching a message out of Philippians chapter four, verse twenty through twenty-three, and it's it's don't discredit the gospel. Don't don't under don't uh, uh, underestimate what the gospel can do, because you know what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. The saints of Caesar's household greet you. The saints of Caesar's household. I'm going to preach the message now. (laughs) Man, here's Nero. Here's Nero, a religion hater. Believed he was God. Persecuted and killed thousands of Christians. And yet here's Paul in a Roman jail leading his household to the Lord. (laughs) Man, don't underestimate what God can do. And here in Nehemiah, a godless leader, Cyrus wasn't a God fearing man. He wasn't a follower of God. And yet, you know what God did? He worked miracles, He just kept working. And when you and I make God an intricate part of our decisions, He will bless. Well, here's where I want to end the day I want to challenge you to make the decision. Don't leave God out of your decisions. And this week, don't do it. Because you know what we all need? We all need a Nehemiah 2.8 in our life. What do you mean, pastor? The king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You wanna know what we really need? What we really need is the good hand of God upon us. That's what we need. Nehemiah's attitude in all of it was, man, look at what God did. Look what God did. I bet he would say, I'm thankful I waited on his timing. I'm thankful I sought him through the situation. I'm thankful I followed his plan because I've been experiencing his blessing. This is exactly what we need. Can I say this this morning that this is what our church needs? This is what your marriage needs. This is what your finances need. This is what your health needs. This is what uh, your teenager needs and your workplace and your work ethic and your character. And the list could go on and on. What does it need? The good hand of God upon it. Man, we need the good hand of God upon us. We need the good hand of God to work. And I wanna tell you this right now. (coughs) Excuse me, I just want us to understand this thought as we close. You can go through life making the good hand of you work and hoping things turn out or you and I can go through life leaning into him, waiting on his timing, seeking his face, following his plan and then experiencing what his good hand does. Hey, you can do it in your marriage. You can try to make your marriage work or you can say, God, I need you. Hey, your family struggles, you can try to make things happen. Or you can say, God, I need you. Work, finances, everything I just listed. I'm not going to keep going over it. I want to. But I want us to understand today, what I need, what Dennis Fountain needs, all three of us. What I need is the good hand of God upon me. That's what I need. Why? Because our church needs it. And we're about to go into a building program that in the long run, in the long run, I'm about to scare you. In the long run, this building program is probably gonna cost us about $1.5 million, maybe more. <laughs> Where are we gonna get that, pastor? We're not. We need the good hand of God upon us. Amen. You know, at that new building, I'm, I'm praying, my, my term is five years. I want us to be in in three years and finished in five years our 15th anniversary, celebrating everything done. Say, pastor, how's that gonna happen? Listen, I don't know that it's going to happen, but I'm asking God why, because we need the good hand of God in it. And then when we build a new building and we start reaching people and continue knocking on doors and adding ministries and having kids classes and junior church and small groups and our music and our uh, Easter outreaches and our into the city outreaches, you know what's behind it all? Hey, we need God in it. And when we want people to be saved. And some of us, some of, listen, some of you have people that you've been praying for for years. We don't know that they might get saved in that new building. Amen. They might get saved before we get there. Amen. That wayward grandson, that wayward son, that wayward daughter, that friend, that loved one. Listen, it could happen, but it's only gonna happen if the good hand of God is upon us. Yeah. But we don't get to five years of the good hand of God being upon us without going through a week with the good hand of God upon us. And so I want to bring it down to this week. This week. Will you make the decision, God, I want your good hand upon me? How do, we, how, do we, how do we do that? Seek him. Wait for his timing. Follow his plan. Keep making him an intricate part of your life. And then you'll begin to experience those blessings. Because the blessings are already there. He's already working. He just says, "And yeah, partner with me. Yeah, try me. Yeah, prove me. Every time, prove me. And every time he comes through. So today, make the decision, God, I want your good hand upon me this week. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.